They are more than just names. More than blocks of stone set in rows. More than memories. They are our brothers and sisters. Our parents and our children. Friends, loved ones, and even strangers who believe that we were worth fighting for. That we were worth dying for. They stand for justice, for courage, for heroism and fearlessness in the face of danger. They stand for the brave men and women who selflessly answered the call and gave their very lives for the cause of freedom. Let us never take their sacrifice for granted, but instead, Remember with gratitude those who have served. Today, tomorrow, and every day thereafter. By the grace of God, if we walk upon free soil, if we breathe in the sweetness of liberty, let us give thanks. Let us honor the fallen. And let us never forget. good to see you this morning and we certainly don't want to forget the sacrifice of all the men and women who've given their lives literally uh, for our freedom we appreciate all of you in this room who've served and I know uh, typically on Veterans Day we recognize you but we just want to thank you so much for your service and appreciate what what you've done for our country in order that we might have freedom but Memorial Day is to to highlight those who um, have given their lives um, and as I was thinking about that this morning and, and, and preparing for, for just this few minutes, you know, we, we, we thank families uh, around the United States who have lost sons and lost daughters, husbands, wives, um, so that we can have freedom. But, you know, um, the greatest freedom that we have is belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing him and the greatest sacrifice of all time was the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ who did nothing wrong he did nothing wrong he didn't deserve to die and yet he willingly died so that you and I could have the hope of eternal life and so my my prayer for you today is that you're here today as you sit in this room that you know without a shadow of a doubt that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're experiencing today the freedom of that grace, of God's grace, of the saving grace that's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really good to see you this morning. I trust that you've come prepared to worship the Lord. And so let's bow together and, and have a word of prayer. Lord, we do want to thank you this morning for the freedom that we do have in this country. We see it being stripped away in a lot of ways. And yet, Lord, we can say without a doubt, you're still on the throne. You're in control. And uh, we trust you, Lord. I pray that's true, that we trust you daily with our, with our lives, with every single thing that crosses our paths. We trust you. And so we want to thank you, Lord, for our freedom in this country. 
We want to thank you for those who've, who've served and who've given their lives uh, literally uh, for the cost of freedom. And we just want to thank you for those men and women. And um, Lord, I pray that one of the ways that we can honor them is um, continuing as uh, believers in Christ to uh, worship you freely. We have the freedom to do that. We can come to this place. We have the freedom every week to be here. And I pray that you would help us, uh, that it would be a habit of ours to want to come and to want to fellowship and want to worship with other believers. Uh, It's a beautiful picture of what heaven will be for an eternity. Where all the saints from of old will be with you and will be worshiping you. I'm often met with the question, what are we going to do in heaven? And I'm like, as I get older, I'm like, are you kidding me? We're going to be able to worship you with no interruption. We're going to be able to sit at your feet and learn from you. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for the freedom that we have to be able to do that. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't take it for granted because around the world, there are, the church is being persecuted and there are some that meet in, in underground churches. They're not able to have the freedom that we have. And so we remember our brothers and sisters today who are in bondage uh, throughout the world who, who don't have the freedom that we have. Help us not to take that freedom for granted. And Lord, help us not to take the freedom that we have in knowing you for granted. Lord, we've been released from the penalty of sin. We're thankful for that. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us today as we worship you, that that everything will be done uh, to honor you and to glorify you, because that's why we're here this morning. And all these things I pray in the precious name of Christ, who is Lord and Savior. Amen. Go, therefore, make disciples of every nation. This is the mission Jesus gave his disciples. At Grace School of Theology, we're committed to fulfilling the Great Commission by developing spiritual leaders in every nation who can in turn teach others about the love of Christ, a love that can never be earned and can never be lost. We are Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world. Hello, and on behalf of uh, President uh, Dave Anderson and our faculty, our staff, our students, and now our local alumni, I bring greetings. And I just want to thank you folks this morning for the opportunity to be able to uh, recognize a couple of men here in our church who have had the privilege of uh, uh, finishing up just last weekend. We had their graduation out in the Woodlands, Texas, which is just outside of Houston. And many of you may not know, but we have a, uh, there's a seminary that, um, and a Bible college that uh, several of the folks here at our church are involved in, many of which are uh, students, uh, many are supporters, and uh, a couple of us even are workers and volunteers there at the school. So anyway, these guys, this, the morning is about uh, these gentlemen right here. This marks the completion of a road that they started many, many years ago. They, uh, one of the gentlemen uh, was in uh, college, uh, in uh, seminary. He received his uh, degree, but he had to change his program due to situation, life circumstances beyond his control. But he was able to complete his uh, Master of Divinity Uh, just last week. The other gentleman is someone who you probably will recognize. He also uh, started his journey in uh, seminary many years ago. Uh, In his case, his school closed the program and he was unable to complete it. But when Grace uh, became available here in our area, these gentlemen stepped up and decided that uh, they wanted to be a part of that. And so it's very exciting that the first two 
graduates we have from our area, from Grace School of Theology, are gentlemen from our church, and I'd like to recognize them and have them come up at this time. The first is Daryl Moncus. And the next is Pastor Thad Blunt. As you can see, these guys look extremely scholarly up there. So you get uh, collars and everything on there, and those cords around their neck means that they're also really smart. They actually studied when they were in our school, not just kind of slacking on through there on that. So uh, I don't know if these guys want to say a brief word, but I'll give them a quick opportunity, especially this, this one, uh, very brief. I well, started this journey uh, a couple years ago. Uh, been a little stress on my family, uh, but uh, the, Lord is, the Lord is faithful. Uh, but if you're interested in uh, theological study and continuing theological study, I believe Grace is a, is a great platform. Uh, they bring the classroom to you. As the video explained, you don't have to uproot your family like you used to have to do and move somewhere and uh, move away from your community. Uh, you can continue ministering right where you're at, and uh, you can take classes right there online, so technology. So if you're interested in uh, theological study, uh, come and talk to myself or, or Robbie or Thad. Uh, we'd be happy to uh, give you some uh, insight on grace. So I uh, want to thank you guys too uh, uh, for praying for us, uh, those of you praying for us as we went through the program. So thanks so much. Well, um, I just have a couple things I want to say. First of all, um, I just want to thank the Lord for the opportunity to continue to study. Um, I think that for me, that's the joy of, of uh, seminary was to be able to continue to study God's Word. And so if, if your desire is to continue to study, which I believe we ought to be lifelong learners, it should never stop. It's an opportunity for you to do that from home. You don't have to change your schedule. You can uh, do that, as Daryl was saying. So I guess being a lifelong learner uh, was really the motivation for me. And then also, um, I would say having an opportunity to graduate with Daryl was very special. And um, we've come to know each other pretty well, even though he's an Ole Miss fan and... <laughs> Poor guy, we pray for him. We but, didn't um, plan that. That was God's hand. I we started at the same time, and uh, we just had so many friends, we had to finish it. That's right. And, uh, so, I haven't converted him to being a hog yet, but I'm working on it. But um, I just want to thank you guys um, as a church family for praying for us, as Daryl said, and um, we really appreciate your support. And uh, hopefully you'll pray about and consider whether uh, grace could be an option for you in, in, in continuing to learn about who God is and his word. So, thank you. Thanks. Oh, wait, wait. Dad. You, you, may, you may have noticed on those collars that they're, they're red. That stands for theology. That is not Old Miss or Arkansas red up there. So just, just in case you wondered about that. Yeah, well, we, we won't go there. I hope to come back here in the next, uh, next week or so. We'll give you a little bit more information about the school and about what's transpiring around our community and about different folks that have been involved and some of the things that are happening. But this morning, especially for these guys, again, I just want to appreciate them and all the hard work that they put in. Let's, uh, let's pray. 
Father, we just want to thank you again so much for all the many blessings that you've given us. And we just thank you so much for the uh, friends at Grace School of Theology and the, the people here that have uh, seen fit to allow us to be able to have a school here and how that uh, these men have been able to complete that journey. We just thank you, Father, not for the fact that they would have knowledge that would just... Uh, uh, build up their minds and their egos, Father, but that it would be knowledge that they can use, that they can go out and make disciples. And that is our charge, uh, Father. We know that this is the goal of the school. We, I know that this is the heart of these men. We just want to thank you, Father, for uh, the, many t the much sacrifice and a lot of time that they put in while they were studying. And I just ask, Father, that you just continue to bless them and bless their ministries. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand as we worship the Lord this morning. I love the song, Blessed Be Your Name, that we're starting out with. Um, no matter where you are, whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, God is in control, and we can say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. So let's just do that this morning.
passages just speaking about the blessings of the of redemption all the riches that we have in Christ what he's purchased for us um, let's read this uh, chapter 1 verse 1 Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory and that's what it's all about um, his glorious grace glorifying his glorious grace to glorify him um, that's what we're here to do this morning thank we just want to in this next song just just say Jesus thank you thank you for everything that you have done for us the mystery of the cross I cannot Agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crush your son. Drink the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath. Satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once you're in me, now seated at your table, 
been talking about um, false teachers, and I believe you're continuing that today. And uh, it says in the Word that uh, many false teachers uh, crept in unawares. In other words, they were sneaky in how they went about it. And 
One thing that I would never want to happen is any false teaching coming into this church through the music. And although we're really picky about the songs that we do, um, sometimes the groups behind the songs may not be biblical. And I'm okay with doing a song. Uh, even the hymns that we used to sing, probably half of those guys had uh, doctrine that we would not line up with. It's always been that way. As long as the song is okay, I'm okay doing it. But I, I would hate if, if any of us took away and started following after some of these movements like Bethel, uh, Jesus Culture, any of these that are just have some really out there unbiblical views. And so I just wanted to say that for some of y'all that I would never want that to creep in. Um, in this church and our music. But this song, Reckless Love, um, just speaks to God's incredible love for us. From our perspective, God is not reckless. But from our perspective, what he did for us is crazy. Paul even said the gospel is foolishness to those that are perished. The Son of God coming to die for a sinful, wretched man, him in that exalted place coming down for us and so we just want to worship him and continue to praise him for everything that he has done and blessed us in christ this morning
you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me.
Mornings like this make you want to get to heaven quick, right? Where there's uninterrupted worship of the Lord and uh, our minds aren't on barbecue and all that kind of stuff. Take your Bibles and go to Second Peter. Second Peter. I hope what you um, walk away with today from this particular lesson is that arrogance costs there's a price to arrogance. And that humility acts. A-C-T-S. There's action with humility. That arrogance cost and humility acts. There was a lawyer who had done a work, some work for a good friend. It was very minimal work. Just a little bit over an hour that he had done for his friend. And so... His friend thought he was doing something that his lawyer buddy would really appreciate. He had bought him a Moroccan, Moroccan leather wallet. And so he went to hand him that Moroccan leather wallet. And his friend, the lawyer, looked at him and said, You can't hope that that wallet would suffice for the $500 that I'm going to charge you for my service. And he looked at him and he said, I was, I was hoping it would. And so he had extended the wallet to his lawyer friend and he took it back and he opened the wallet and took the $1,000 bill out and laid it on the desk and put a $500 bill in the wallet and handed it to the lawyer. Should have kept his mouth shut. <laughs> Arrogance costs. Sometimes it literally costs, and 
We're going to see in our passage today that as Peter begins to put meat on the bone as it relates to um, the description of these false teachers, um, the first issue that we're going to deal with is their arrogance. Uh, This is probably one of those characteristics that for many of us is a challenge. And so as we go through these, these verses, verses 10 through 22, we're going to see that Peter has gone to great lengths to put meat on the bone to how these guys truly are. He gives a, a really strong description. It's not, it's not, he's certainly not praising them. Um, in fact, some would say maybe Peter's just being too brass. You know, he's treating them kind of rough. But remember, Peter was what? He was a shepherd. And he was responsible for the sheep as a shepherd. A shepherd is responsible for the sheep. A shepherd has responsibility to feed and to protect and to care for. And, and I believe that what's happening here in verses 10 through 22, as we have it in our Bibles, is that Peter is just going all, on an all-out assault of these guys and saying, Hey, look, here are their true colors. You need to know this. You need to know who they are. Now, in our day and time, identifying false teachers uh, may be, for some of us, difficult to do. But might I just give you one piece of advice? That when you're watching television and you're watching these teachers and these preachers, make sure that they are taking God's Word and communicating it verse by verse. Make sure they're taking it out and not putting it in. All right, now there's a difference. There's these technical terms, and uh, you just need to know them. One is exegesis, one is eisegesis. Exegesis means to take out. So a good teacher takes out from what God says and teaches it and then gives application. Eisegesis is someone who takes God's word and reads into it, right? They're trying to find the language that represents what they want to teach, what they want their audience to hear. Uh, For example, you have your health, wealth, and prosperity theology teachers who use a lot of the Old Testament and the promises to Israel and make them for you and for me. Um, That's false teaching. And so we have to be really careful about that. And so Peter, as he's describing these guys, uh, goes into quite a bit of detail. He gives kind of a skeletal description in verses 1 through 3. And just to be reminded of that, look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Here's the skeletal description of these false teachers. Chapter 2 of Second Peter. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you, um, who secretly will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality. And so there's a large influence here that they have. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Yet their judgment from long ago is not idle, idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And then you come down to the middle of verse 10, and he begins to pick up on this idea of describing these guys. I want you to notice what it says. It says, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic, majesties. We'll stop right there and we'll pick that up in a few minutes. So first of all, he identifies them as daring and self-willed. 
Now, those words are very important for us to understand. Um, because from these words come the concept that these guys, these false teachers, are arrogant. Right? These two words, by definition, read this way. Daring describes those who are audacious. Um, the word describes those who shamelessly defy what is right. They have a desire to exalt self and have no concern for others. At the end of the day, what they're concerned about is themselves. About looking good, about gaining applause from an audience. You know, it's about patting them on the back and saying, job well done. My friends, listen to me. There is no place for arrogance in the ministry. And there is no place for arrogance as a believer. We're going to see that in just a minute. So that word daring means they have a desire to exalt self and have no concern for others. Well, the word self-willed is closely related to it. It describes those who are haughty, determined to get their way in order to please self, disregarding how others may be impacted. I'm, re I'm, I'm doing the word studies on this, and I'm like, hey, man, that doesn't just describe false teachers. This describes our culture. Those who are haughty, determined to get their way in order to please self, disregarding how others may be impacted. Hey, I know that person. They live right next door to me. Right? We could look at that and go, wow, that's self-willed. That's a pretty strong term. Because the point Peter's making is that all they're consumed with is self. World revolves around self. I mean, how many times when you were growing up did your parents say to you, the world does not revolve around you? Right? Young people, right? Old people, right? I mean, even our wives may have said to us husbands, hey, the world does not revolve around you. Has your wife ever told you that? Somebody said amen. <laughs> well, my wife may have a time or two. I don't remember right at this moment. But the point is that these guys are arrogant, all right? Well, I got to thinking about it. Well, so as I'm going through this study, I'm, I'm looking at all these different characteristics, and I'm like, okay, we can just focus on who they are, or we can learn from who they are. I chose the second. Let's learn from who they are because, now listen, this is very important, because we need to be the opposite of them. We don't need to have lives that are characterized by arrogance. Now listen, everybody loves attention. Right? Actually, people crave attention. Well, I think that's true. So we have to be very careful in our lives that we are living out humility. Do you know who, in terms of personality, it's hardest for to live out this piece called humility? Um, have you ever done a personality test? If, you're, if you grade it out and you're choleric, you have a problem with arrogance. I'm just letting you know that. I just thought you wanted to know that this morning, right? That's one of the things that you may battle with if you have that personality. But it's not just the cholerics, which you could go, oh, yeah, I see that, right? But it's the phlegmatics as well. You, ever, you need to take that test if you've never taken it because the phlegmatic personality has a very difficult time admitting they're wrong at anything. Right? So I think when it comes to this issue of arrogance, there's application for all of us. Right? That God does not desire us to be arrogant 
he desires us to be humble. So I got to thinking, well, does God speak about this issue of arrogance? And do you know what I found? He does. Let me give you some uh, verse. And that's amazing when the Lord took me to this verse, how it runs kind of side by side with what we're studying here in Second Peter. Well, look at Proverbs 6, verse 16. He says, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination. That word abomination means detestable. These things are detestable to God. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Wow. That phrase, haughty eyes, is the idea of arrogance or pride, right? And so I, as I was studying that, I thought, oh, that's pretty interesting. And so I made three observations just from this particular verse with the phrase, haughty eyes. First of all, notice that haughty eyes is first on the list, right? You go back and you look at that. There are six things which the, which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes is first. Arrogance, pride is first. Now, I don't know about ladies. I don't know about this, but I do know that men struggle with pride, with arrogance. I do know that. You're looking at one that does. Right? You do. Right? A lot of people do. But the Lord hates it. The Bible says... It's a detestable thing to him. I was trying to think of an analogy of something that's detestable. I'm like, the only thing that I could think of was like the food analogies, right? I hate spinach. It's detestable to me, right? There's nothing good about it. Stinks, right? It's like cabbage. Cabbage stinks. You ever, you ever smelt a kitchen with cabbage cooking? Detestable, nasty, gross. Some people love it. How many of you love cabbage? I knew I was going to be in trouble for asking that question. <laughs> it's first on the list. You know what pride says ultimately? This is why God hates it. Do you know why, what pride says? I don't need the Lord. I don't need him. Hey, God, I got this one. I don't need you. Well, the false teachers, they didn't need him at all. I got it. I got it. It's first on the list. It's interesting that if you go to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you wanted to turn there, Mark chapter 7, Jesus has a list. Well, it's first on the list in, in the book of Proverbs, but it's in the list in Mark chapter 7 of those things which, de, which defile a man. Those things that, that defile a man. That which comes out of him. If you notice verse 20 of Mark chapter 7, it says this, And he was saying, Jesus was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. All right, so what defiles the man? Here it is. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts and fornications, that's sexual sin, Thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, 
what's the next word? Pride. And foolishness. Pride. Arrogance. So it's first in the list of the things that the Lord hates. It's in the list as Jesus is teaching here. That what comes out of the man is what defiles the man. Um, so we need to be aware of the fact that arrogance may be a propensity for some of us in this room. I'm not saying all of us, but some of us, we need to be aware of it. All right, we'll talk a little bit about how to deal with that. All right, so it's first on the list. That was my first observation. Secondly, uh, haughty eyes is the idea of setting oneself above others. Here is the definition. It's the idea of setting oneself above others. It says, I'm better than you. Right? And not only says it, now this is very important, not only says it, but acts it out. Right? Well, these false teachers, they set themselves up. They're like, I don't need anybody. I don't need the Lord, and I certainly don't need you. Well, so haughty eyes is the idea of setting oneself above others. Um, is that the way the Lord wants us to be? Does he want us to have that attitude that, hey, I'm better than you are, right? Listen, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you're a new creature in Christ. Old things are what? Passed away. All things have become new. I'm a new creation in Christ. There's something different. The Spirit of God lives in me. And so you know what? This, this battle of arrogance can be overcome by depending and trusting on the Lord step by step, day by day, trusting in Him, right? Well, how does the Lord want us to be? Because He certainly doesn't want us to have that mind. Um, here's the message for the church. It comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Um, it's set in the context, if you read the, the verses preceding, it's set in the context of unity. Now let me ask you a question. Is unity in a family important? Answer? How do you know? Well, Christmas and Thanksgiving can become kind of uncomfortable, right? You ever had that happen in your family? Where you're, you've looked at your wife, or, or wives, you've looked at your husband and said, mm, we're not going this year. Right? That ever happened to you? That's what disunity does. And right before he talks about this issue here of being selfless, all right, this issue of humility, he talks about unity in the context of the church. So unity within the church is important. What is going to divide a church? Arrogance will. And absolutely will. Pride will. Right? And, but the Lord wants unity in his body. And so look what he says. And this is some radical instruction. He says, do nothing, like, so there's no room for, like, substituting any other word there. You know what nothing means? Nothing. There you go. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. So if you read the, if you looked up the definition of empty conceit, it means preoccupied with self. So you read it this way. Do nothing from selfishness or because you're preoccupied with self. Now, I don't know about you, but when you walk out of the door each day, I'm talking about just out your door, it's hard not to be preoccupied with who? Self! 
Didn't you know that today, the 27th of May, is all about me? Right? That's the way, listen, that's the battle. The battle is right in front of us on a daily basis. Help me, Lord, not to walk out the door believing today is about me. Mm. Well, I want to tell you, I struggle with that sometimes. You ever struggle with that? Right? So you give your wife the memo. Hey, today's about me. And you give your kids the memo. Hey, today's about me. You know, our culture is set up that way. Man, our culture feeds off that. It's all about me. Didn't Toby Keith sing a song, something like that effect? It's all about me. Our culture sure did pick up on that well. It's all about me. But man, the Lord has some radical ideas because it's not all about me. This is what he says. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit because you're preoccupied with self, but with humility of mind. So my mind's very important here. Right? With humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Oh, hold on a minute, Lord. Hold on. Who are the one... Who's the one another speaking about? Who's the one another in the Philippians 2, 3, and 4 passage? Who's the one another? The church. Oh, my goodness. Well, I can put this person over here above myself, but not this person. It doesn't seem like to me he, you're able to do that based on the context. Because what he's saying is the entire church. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Now it's interesting because some want to stop there, but there's very important words behind this. Because he gives you, right, the direction. He says you're to regard one another as more important than himself. But look what he says after that. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. Does he say, do not look out for your own personal interest? It's not what he says. That's, what, that's not what he says. But he says, do not merely look out for your own personal interest. That doesn't mean we don't look out for our interest. We do. But it's not just our interest. But notice what he says. But also for the interest, interest of others. I look out for others. My mindset is others. So when I walk out the door, it's others. Lord, help me to think about others. So listen to me, because I believe that God's in control of all things. You walk through a store, and you don't have time for anybody but yourself, but all of a sudden, the Lord sends this person from the church now, down the same aisle, and you look at him and go, you ever done that? Anybody want to admit they've ever done that? Right. You've seen me at the store and you thought, I don't want to talk to him today. But there are no accidents. And I've run into people in stores. I've run into people at gas stations. I've run into people at restaurants. I don't know all the time why God puts them in my path, but he does it for a reason. So I need to have the interest of others in mind. And maybe it's just to listen. Can you imagine if it was just for you to listen? Because maybe they're going through something that needs prayer. 
Right? Maybe you're going through a hard time, and God has set you in place to listen. Well, you know what? After this radical instruction, he gives in Philippians chapter 2 the best illustration. Who's the most humble that you can think of? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who exemplified humility like no other? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in that passage that he humbled himself even to the point of what? Death, even death on a cross. So, it's important that we understand for the church the message is humility. And thirdly, from this Proverbs passage, haughty eyes bring destruction. You say, do they really? Well, they really do. And do you know there are more verses about that than, than I even thought? So I got to look, and they're just all in Proverbs. I didn't even go out of Proverbs. But arrogance brings with it destruction. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, look at this. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be what? Unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before what? Destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. <laughs> well, guess what? All that connects so well to 2 Peter. Because there is an example of arrogance given to us in 2 Peter Chapter 2. And it's interesting to me that Peter, of all the examples that he may could have used, he uses this one. It's kind of one of those examples you look at and go, what in the world are you talking about? Hopefully we can clear that up for you guys this morning. The example of their arrogance is given at the end of verse 10. It says, daring self-willed, they do not tremble. That word means quiver. They don't shake. They're not fearful at all when they revile angelic majesties. Now, those last two terms, angelic majesties, are really one word in the original language. That's very important. Because then it reads this way. They do not tremble, quiver, shake in their boots when they revile glories. Now, who in the world is he talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to get to that. Before we do, let me talk to you about the term revile. Revile has a couple of different thoughts to it. One um, is blaspheme, and the other is slander. And I, I did a little bit further word study on this, and these are three phrases that kind of come up when you think about slandering or blaspheming. When one, we think about abusive speech. Man, we hear people blaspheme the name of the Lord all the time, don't we? Do you have to go very far to hear that? Just work in construction. You'll hear it. I worked at Endure All Paints. Let me highlight some of my jobs for you. I worked at Endure All Paints. Guess what? I heard a whole lot of blasphemy as it related to the Lord. I worked for a sprinkler company. Right, digging ditches and putting sprinkler systems in. Don't call me to put yours in because I don't know what I'm doing. All right, I've worked for electrical companies, and all those companies had one thing in common: blasphemy, blasphemous speech. 
the name of the Lord is taken in vain. I mean, just over and over and over and over and over again. How do you respond? This wasn't in my notes. How do you respond to that? What happens to you when you hear someone blaspheming the name of the Lord? What happens to you? I just want you to think about that. What happens to you? It really bothers me. You know, there are a lot of words out there that people use that are abusive terms and a lot of four-letter words that people tend to highlight. And Those four-letter words bother me. But boy, when I hear the name of my God, now remember this, the name of my God who is like no other, blasphemed, boy, it really bothers me. And can I say, it ought to bother you. Is that fair to say that? It ought to bother you. Maybe we could all agree that when we hear somebody blaspheming the name of the Lord, we would walk up to them and say, hey, let me tell you about my Lord. Wouldn't that be something? You might get a black eye, but hey, be worth it. So the word describes abusive speech, condescending comments, critical remarks. Um, that's the idea of the word revile. Right? And the term in the original language here is the word blaspheme. So it says, they blaspheme glories. Well, who are these glories? Well, I'm glad you want to know. All right? There's always views. Do you guys figure that out now since we've been going through Second Peter? There's view after view after view. There's three views as to who these glories are. The first is that they slander human dignitaries. And some translations might even have dignitaries. But they slander human dignitaries. For example, church leadership. Now, church leadership is slandered. I don't think that's the context of what Peter's talking about here. I, I'm, I put it up there for you to have, um, but I don't believe that's the context. The second view is they slander Christ in his glory. Um, and John Piper holds to this view. But it's okay to disagree with John Piper, isn't it? I disagree with John Piper. I don't believe that's the view that's correct in the context of the passage, and I hope to be able to show you that. The third view um, is that they slander fallen angels or demons. I believe that's what's going on here. Um, some have an issue with Peter using glories to describe wicked angels. But let me remind you of some things. Paul certainly seems to respect the enemies in the unseen world. You say he does? Yeah, he does. In fact, Jesus said of Satan, he is the ruler of this world, John chapter 12. Paul said of Satan, he is the prince of the power of the air. And then, if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, but I know you're familiar with it. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. By the way, that's the solution to the problem of the enemy attacking you. Right? It's not, hey, I've got power over Satan or power over demons. Listen to me. None of us have power over demons and none of us have power over Satan. We need to be clear about that. And there are a lot of false teachers out there who say, I have power over demons. No, you, no they don't. Demons are stronger than you. Satan is stronger than you. We're going to see an example of that. 
So the issue for the believer is to be strong in the Lord. Hey, that's a pretty good idea, isn't it? Right? In the strength of his might, because it's about his power. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Notice verse 12. For our struggle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. He seems to be respectful of these guys. He's respecting who they are in terms of their position, in terms of their power. Right? He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, by the way, which we are not privy to. There's a realm out there that you and I can't see. There's this spiritual, we talk about it, right? You hear people, oh, there's spiritual warfare going on. Hey, guess what? There really is. There's war going on for you, right? Now, I'm not privileged to it, but I know it exists. So I believe that in this passage, back to 2 Peter chapter 2, is that they're reviling demons. They're reviling fallen angels. Um, we're going to get to Jude in just a second because I think Jude kind of gives us a little more, um, get a little more strength to that argument. But notice, they revile demons or fallen angels, whereas angels, and these are the good angels, who are greater in might and power, do not bring a reviling judgment against them. Who is them? The demons, the fallen angels. He says, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That these good angels, right? The angels who are hanging out with the Lord don't bring a reviling judgment against demons. I thought, man, that's pretty interesting, right? And so then you go to Jude. I need you to turn there. Jude kind of gives us further explanation as to what is going on here in 2 Peter. So these false teachers, now you have to keep in mind what's going on. These false teachers aren't even trembling. <laughs> they're not quivering. They're not scared. And, and as I was thinking about this, they're crazy. Demons are stronger than them, more powerful than them, and they're not frightened of them. Isn't it interesting? This, I was looking at this, I was like, man, Lord, your words, it is just as applicable today as it was then. You imagine, I mean, if there's, listen, you want proof that God's word is true? Here it is. Peter's writing about these false teachers who are ridiculing and slandering and blaspheming demons, and you're going, oh my goodness, there's false teachers today who stand on stage and say, I have power over Satan and I have power over demons, and you're like, no, you don't. No, you don't. In fact, I would say we need to be really, really, really careful when we're talking about demons and we're talking about Satan and what we're doing, I'm just giving you advice based on what I'm reading in the book. Because as you come to Jude, it's interesting to me what goes on with Michael, the archangel. Notice verse 8, it says, Yet in the same manner these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh. They reject authority. And here's that same phrase. They revile glories. But... Man, this contrast is strong. But Michael, the archangel. You've heard of Michael, right? Michael, the archangel. Now look what happened. When he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses. 
and you're like, hey, man, are there some other scriptures about that? No. Sorry, this is it. We don't know why he was doing that. I don't know, maybe he wanted to set Moses up for the people in order they'd worship him. I have no idea. Or to say, hey, look, the Lord failed. I have no idea. But it does say this, notice this. When he disputed about, uh, with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare. Are you reading that? Did not dare pronounce against him, against who? The devil, a railing judgment, but said what? The Lord rebuke you. Man, I like that. I'm going to leave it with the Lord. Are you good with that? Well, Michael was. Right? He says, the Lord rebuke you. I couldn't help but think of it when I, I was telling somebody earlier this morning, when I read that phrase, the Lord rebuke you. So Michael puts it in the hands of the Lord to rebuke the devil. I'm good with that. I put it in the hands of the Lord to rebuke Satan. I put it in the hands of the Lord to rebuke the demons. I do that. That's what I'm going to do. But when I thought about that, I thought, you know what? Even the Apostle Paul, in a different context, you remember the verse where it says, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. What is he, what's the next phrase? I'm going to repay him. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. What does it say? Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him. Men want judgment in their hands. It belongs to the Lord. It belongs to him. So I think Jude gives us a strong indication that, in fact, Peter, although he didn't go into the detail, is talking about these false teachers reviling demons. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them. Um, John MacArthur, I like this quote. He says, No believer should be so boldly foolish as to mock or command the power of supernatural demons, especially Satan. But you know what? There's some foolish people out there. He goes on to write, Believers are not to address Satan and the demons, but seek the Lord's intervening power against them. It's the Lord, guys. He's the one who's omnipotent. He's the one who's all-powerful. It's not man. Well, what's the rest of the story? What happens to these guys? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're almost done. Second Peter, I keep telling you to turn there. I've got to go back myself. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 12. So he says back in, in, in 10, they're reviling these glories who are demons or fallen angels, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, now these there are the false teachers. Wow. You know what he does here? He compares these false teachers to animals. Peter wouldn't fit in our culture, would he? That wouldn't go over real well. You can't compare people to animals. Well, he's doing it. He's comparing these false teachers to animals who are acting on their instincts, like animals act on their instincts. Animals do not reason. I know you love your dog, okay, and I know you love your cats, but they do not have reasoning ability. Do you understand that? 
everybody understand that? Good. I'm glad you understand it. I was really concerned about getting to this part because I know there are a lot of people that love dogs and cats and more power to you, but they don't reason. They're incapable of that. Notice what he says. But like these, or but these, these false teachers, like unreasoning animals, and this is what he says they're born for, as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed. Wow. So just as beasts are captured and killed, that's exactly what's going to happen with these guys. They're going to be destroyed. And look at this next phrase, reviling where they have no knowledge. Wow, that's a kick in the teeth. So here these guys are reviling these demons, and Peter's like, they have no idea what they're doing. In fact, you know what the word there, or the phrase there, they have no knowledge means? Literally, it means they are ignorant. Who likes being called ignorant, right? Well, Peter calls these guys ignorant. They revile where they have no knowledge. Notice what he says their outcome will be. Will in the destruction of those creatures also be what? They're going to be destroyed. In fact, he even goes on to say, verse 13, he says, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. That phrase literally means they harmed, because listen to me, you know what false teachers do? They harm. They bring harm to people. Right? You think about the number of people who are carried away in our culture today by false teaching. Hey, you mail me $29.99, and I'm going to mail you this healing cloth. You say, Thad, that's crazy. You ever watch some of that? They actually had one that was green. A green I would have changed it to red. But a, a, a green healing cloth. You mail a check to me for $29.99, I'll mail you that healing cloth. The only word I could come up with is baloney. That's not here in the book. Right? That's not here. They harmed and they themselves will be harmed. Suffering wrong is the wages. There's a price. Guys, listen to me. There is a price for leading people down the wrong road. Can I close with this thought? The book of James tells us and if you're a teacher, it applies to you. And so since you teach your children the Word of God, it applies to pretty much all of you in here, right? And your grandchildren. The Bible says, teachers will incur a what? Stricter judgment. So taking this book, right? Taking God's Word and holding it up and saying, this is your Word, God. I have no right to divide it like I want it to be divided. But I'm going to divide it like it's already been divided. You've already divided it. I need to take it and I need to study it in order that I may be able to teach, yes, my children at home and yes, these youth at church, but it is my responsibility to dive down in here and to teach God's Word because it's God's Word that changes lives. Listen, we said in the beginning, we said in the beginning that there is a price... There's a price for arrogance. But the Lord wants us to be what? He wants us to be humble, right? The Lord desires that those that belong to him are humble. I found this story that I wanted to close with. This man's name is Bill. He has wild hair. He wears a t-shirt with holes in it. He has jeans on and he has no shoes. That was literally his wardrobe in college. 
But in college, he becomes a Christian. And guess what happens? He sees a church across the street, and he decides to go to the church across the street. The church across the street is a very conservative church. And they're all well-dressed and well-groomed, and he decides one day that he wants to go to the service. So he walks into the church, and guess how he walks into the church? He walks into church with a T-shirt, with holes in his jeans, and no shoes. And he walks into the church, and he's looking around for a seat, and there's no seat. And so he begins walking down the aisle. Wow. And he's walking down the aisle, and he's almost up to where the stage is, and he decides just to sit down. Because there's literally nowhere to sit. And so the story goes that the members are like getting uncomfortable, right? You know how you get uncomfortable, right? You're t- you're, my thighs tighten when I get uncomfortable. And my, my, my thighs are tight, right? And, and I'm shrugging my shoulders, and I'm like, whoa. As he gets closer to the pulpit, he sits down, and there's tension in the air. And then from the back of a church, there's this deacon. His name is Bill. Excuse me. There's this, this deacon, and he walks toward Bill. This deacon is 80 years old. He has silver gray hair, a three-piece suit on, and a pocket watch. I can just picture the guy, right? He's got that pocket watch right here. He is a godly man, very elegant, very dignified. He walks with a cane, and he heads down toward Bill, who's sitting in the middle of the aisle. And So the people are thinking, well, he's just doing naturally what he needs to do, and he needs to take this guy right, this is what they're thinking, and do what? Remove him. As he gets down close to Bill, who's sitting in the aisle, the story goes that with great difficulty, he lowered himself and he sat down by Bill so he wouldn't be alone. And when the minister gets control of himself, he says, what I'm about to preach, you will never remember what you've just seen You'll never forget. Guys, that's the picture of humility. That's the way we need to be. We need to be opposite of these guys that Peter describes in 2 Peter 2. Let's pray together. Lord, um, as we read this section, we're reminded that there is another world out there that we're not privileged to. There are battles going on, literally. And um, while we don't have all the details of that, we know they go on. Paul tells us that. And I pray, Lord, that, that we wouldn't be so bold and brass to say, hey, we have power over, but, Lord, that we would be accurate to say, you have power over. Lord, you're the one that is all-powerful, not us. Help us to have that mind. Help us, Lord, to be humble and dependent on you, as James says, Lord, that we would submit to you. That's what we need to do first, that we would resist the devil and that he would flee from us. Lord, help us not to be so arrogant as to believe in and of ourselves we have power over that world because we don't. 
And we see the end, and this is a sad story to me. The ending of this is while these false teachers, Lord, at the end, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to receive the wages of what they've done. The price, it's going to be paid, and they're going to pay it. Lord, can I just thank you that I'm thankful, Lord, I recognize that you paid the price for my sin. You died for me. You loved me so much that you went to the cross and you died for my sins. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for, Lord, um, saving faith in you that I have. I want to thank you, Lord, that, that I can depend on you. And we live in a world where men want to flex their muscles and say, I have the power. But Lord, the truth is you have the power. We need to submit to the one that has the power. Help us not to succumb to false teachers who are out there provocating the message that they have power over demons and Satan because they don't. And help us, help us, Father, to be dependent upon you each and every day. We thank you for the Spirit of God that does reside in us. We thank you for the power that is there through the Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to think through the spiritual warfare that goes on. Help us to be in the right place. Help us to understand where we are in relationship to the battle that goes on. And help us to submit to you, resist the devil. And the Bible says he'll flee from us. But that starts with submitting ourselves to the Lord, daily submitting ourselves. And I pray that we do that. I thank you for your word and the power of it. I pray that we would walk worthy of the call if we're in Christ today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You can stand with us as we worship through this last song.